there for us, and God meets every need in our lives. We serve a great God. I tell you this, you may have challenges in life. We all do. Everybody's got challenges. And uh, don't look over at someone else's yard and think the grass is greener there. We all have challenges. And I'm convinced, by the way, if you could see the challenges of other people, uh, you'd pick the challenges that you have. And uh, God custom fits our challenges for us to conform us into His image and to um, uh, glorify Himself through us. And uh, so... Uh, praise the Lord. Thank you, ladies. That was a blessing. Last week, we were introduced to Mordecai in our study. How many of you know what the theme is for the year? I hope you know it. Let's say it together. All right, here we go. God is at work in such a time as this. All right. You see, why do you have that up there? Because hopefully by the end of the year, <laughs> hopefully in the middle of the year, as you face challenges, rather than panic, oh, no, what's happening? You'll say, hold on, these words are coming into my mind. God is at work in such a time as this in my life and in my circumstances. And last week, we were introduced to Mordecai. We preached a message entitled, Doing Right in a World That is Doing Wrong. And uh, we're going to continue uh, our series. As we look at chapter number three, we're introduced to a man by the name of Haman. He was an individual that was promoted by the king. He was promoted above all the princes, and uh, he, like many today, had some big issues, some pride issues in his life, and he sought to intimidate others. I want to preach a message this morning that I've entitled, When the Pressure Comes. You can make a decision to do right and say, you know what, the world is doing wrong and I'm determined that I'm going to do right. But that doesn't mean just because you make a decision to do what's right, that doesn't mean that you won't face pressure to do what's wrong. And we'll find that in this chapter, we'll find the pressure comes on Mordecai to do something that God wouldn't have him to do. Look at verse number one. Verse number one of our text, Bible says this, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. The Bible says that he was the son of an Agagite there. There are two possibilities here. Commentators throw both of them out. One is not the most popular. It is the fact that uh, could he have come from a district in the empire known as Agag. All right, Not the, as popular as the one you probably know and I'm about to share with you. The second uh, thought is that Haman was a descendant of Agag, king of the Amalekites. If this is the case, we can understand why he hated the Jews. God declared war on the Amalekites and wanted them destroyed. As a matter of fact, you say, where is that? I want you to turn there real quick. Hold your place in Esther chapter 3 and go to Deuteronomy chapter number 25. Deuteronomy chapter number 25, we find God's reasoning here as we look at Israel and their interaction uh, with our, really the attack of the Amalekites. Remember this, we know this, we'll look at it again at the end of the message. Uh, Israel is God's chosen people. And God said, I'll bless them that bless you and curse them that, 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 that curse you. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 25 and verse number 17, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way, when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. 
Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, you'll need to turn there. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul was told by God to destroy all of the Amalekites. Saul did not do that. Saul disobeyed God. Haman is the man that comes to the scene here, and he's going to end up putting pressure on the people of God, specifically right out of the gate on Mordecai, a Jew, to get him to bow down to him. As I said this already, there's always going to be pressure for you to compromise. Always. Paul told the church at Rome there, he said, be not conformed to this world. That word conform has the idea of pressing you into a mold. The world wants to do everything he can to get God's people, and really God's people are not God's people, anybody to conform to its mold. And that's why the Bible says, uh, don't be conformed, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember when I was a kid, my mom would... Uh, uh, she would make these jello molds, and she'd put this thing in. And, and uh, anyway, make a long story short, I thought it was cool when she brought it to the table. Oh, how did you do that? And it's all like, how do you get jello to, to stay upright and all? Well, she, it's a mold here, and then you learn all the tricks of the trade. It's kind of amazing, all the different tricks of the trade, uh, what people can do with jello or cake or whatever. And all it's because we put these things into this mold, and it conforms. I remember when my, my wife or daughter made a, a, a cake that was a lamb you know and I'm like how are you gonna do that and he put this thing in the mold put on sure enough there was lammy little lammy and uh, we ate little lammy little lammy was good cake um, but the reality is the devil wants to push you and conform us the world wants to conform us into its mold the world has nothing to offer us I remember working with a fellow when I was operations manager at a golf company and this fellow would get paid and all of his friends would come around and uh, he and his friends would party away his paycheck they told me this he said they went around the money no one there was nowhere no one to be found uh, he found himself in prison at one point and i said did any of your friends come to visit you in prison he said no they were nowhere to be found you see the world will make big promises uh, but the world always brings destruction, hurt, and we need to recognize this. Hey, we make a decision, I'm going to do right in a world that's doing wrong. And we get out there into the world, and you know there's enormous pressure on God's people. There's enormous pressure on churches. If you look at even denominations and the different denominations that have, that have caved into uh, alternate lifestyles and caved into uh, women preachers and caved into these things that aren't found in the Word of God. There's enormous pressure, and uh, we need to recognize that we're going to face pressure. But I want to give you three warnings to heed this morning when pressure comes your way. And uh, I want to do it by looking at Esther chapter number three. So let's have a word of prayer. And then I want to give you three warnings this morning. Lord, we need you today. We need you every day. Lord, I need thee every hour. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts.
Lord, this hour is about you. It's about you, Lord, communicating your message to us. Lord, it's about us saying yes to you. And Lord, it's about you being glorified. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray you'd use me this morning to communicate truth to your people. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one warning, the obvious warning is this. Don't be disobedient. Don't be disobedient. There's lots of pressure in this world to disobey what you know to be right. Haman shows up on the scene. He's the new honcho. And the Bible says in verse number two, all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. By the way, just because the king or somebody in authority, and we'll see this in just a little bit, just because they set a law doesn't necessarily mean that that law is consistent with the truth of the word of God. You see, some things that are becoming law in 2024 are against what the Bible says. And the scripture says here that the king says, hey, we got to show reverence to Haman. And the servants did. Probably, I wonder how many other Jews did. But the Bible says, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. I don't think Haman saw this at first. The scripture says, verse 3, Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Here Mordecai not only is being pressured by the masses, but now he's being pressured in private by those that work with him, by those that interact with him. And they say, hey, Mordecai, we've got a problem here. Haman came in, king gave instructions concerning Haman, and you are not showing reverence to him. And there's a little bit of pressure there. The scripture says here that they, why are you transgressing the king's commandment? Verse number four, now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him. Do you know sometimes the pressure to conform isn't just a one-time thing? There are individuals that can't stand the fact that you have peace in your life and that you have, a, that you have joy in your heart. There are individuals that, 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 that have a miserable life and it bugs them that you have in their mind it together. And the reality is they'll do what they can to try to get you to conform, to try to get you to compromise. And it's not just a one-time thing. Sometimes, unfortunately, we can have family or extended family that will say, hey, I don't understand why you homeschool. I don't understand why you go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and go out and share the, and the list could go on. Why do you listen to this kind of music? Why do you dress this way? Why do you act this way? Why won't you attend this family function? Why won't you attend this party? And it's often not just a one-time thing. It can be a continual thing. And that's what we see Mordecai facing here. They speak daily unto him and he hearkened not unto them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them <clears throat> that he was a Jew. Interesting. Mordecai finally says to them, look, I'm a Jew, and I'm not going to bow down to him. We, we suspect Haman didn't see it at first. Now these men from the king's gate go, and they tattle. Haman, this guy here is not bowing to you. And he says, because he's 
a Jew. And the Jews now become the bad guys because the Jews are not conforming to what the bad guys want them to do. Isn't it interesting that there are people in the world in which we live in today that will accuse the Christians of being the terrorists, of being the problem? I'm convinced, I don't know, this is just my speculation, but I'm convinced when the rapture of the church comes that whoever is still here and running things, you know, obviously we know the Antichrist will be there, they're going to excuse away the disappearance of all these Christians. The bad guys left, and now we're able to have, and of course there's going to be peace for a little bit, and now we're able to have peace. Isn't that interesting? You become the bad guy when you take a stand. You become the bad guy when you say, hey, no, I'm not going to drink. You become the bad guy when you say, hey, I'm not going to take God's name in vain. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to do whatever it is. You often become the bad guy. And that's what happens here in Mordecai's life. The reality is we have to obey God. And I'm not saying sometimes things are preference. Sometimes things are preferences. I'm not, I'm not talking about preferences. I'm talking about when, 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 when what we're faced with goes contrary to the Word of God. Think about the situations in the Bible where people had to make a decision. In the book of Exodus, chapter number 1, the, the midwives there were told by Pharaoh and the rulers, you need to kill all these babies. It's a Hebrew baby. Boy, kill it. They didn't obey. Hey, they feared God, Scripture says. And they did what was right. Killing babies is murder. We know that. We can see it in the pages of the Scripture. But some will tell you, hey, it's okay because a law was passed that it's okay. It's not okay because God's Word said it's not okay. Think about Daniel chapter number 1. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they show up on the scene and they're given a portion of the king's meat and the wine which he drank and they say, hey, you got to eat this. We're going to educate you. What were they trying to do? They were from Jerusalem. They show up in Babylon. And what they do is the same thing the world does to us. They try to conform them into his mold. We're going to teach you. We're going to train you. And we're going to get you to eat. And Daniel says, hey, I can't do this. He purposed in his heart what? That he would not defile himself because he was committed to God. And he said, I can't do it. By the way, Daniel didn't, he didn't you know, have an attitude about it. Daniel just appealed. Hey, could I, could I appeal just for a little bit? Could, could I put God to a test? And he said, you give us poles, vegetables, and whatnot. And the Bible says they came out and they were ten times better. He didn't throw the book at the guy. He wasn't rude or unkind. He just simply said in a nice way, I can't do this. I can't eat this meat that's awful to idols. I've got to do what God wants me to do. And God came through for him ten times better. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bow down to this idol of Nebuchadnezzar. Bow down to the idol. We can't do it. You don't do it, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. By the way, what conviction they had. They didn't know if God was going to deliver them or not. They said, look, our God is able to deliver us, but if not, we're not bowing down. Do you know what? As God's people, we need to have courage and boldness in our own hearts and lives and to say, you know what? I am going to obey God no matter what. We, we, we allow 
uh, the pressure. Uh, bow down. And they didn't bow down. Daniel, you can't be praying like you're doing. You take a break for 30 days. Opened his windows. And he prayed to God as he always did. Threw him in the lion's den. And God delivered. Don't be disobedient. Disciples were told in the book of Acts, you got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. In Acts 4, there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. you got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. What does it get to get us to stop preaching Jesus? People try to say, hey, you can't, you can't do that. Hey, the reality is, by the way, if laws in our land were passed, and I think the day's coming, a hate crime, you think about the Reynolds was telling us at the Sunday school table about individuals who just stood outside an abortion clinic and didn't do anything except what were they doing? They were uh, protesting or just taking a stand. They arrested them, faced 10 years in prison. You know, you think about that. What did they do wrong? They didn't do anything. Just trying to take a stand. We have to obey God. How would things change in your life if laws were passed that you couldn't witness? I hope you'd say, oh, this is going to affect me. I hope you say, hey, I'm still going to keep doing this because I got a command of God to obey. Mordecai was pressured. Pressured on a regular basis. Mordecai did not bow. How are you being pressured? We're all being pressured. It's being jammed down our throat on all sides. Don't be disobedient. Number one. Number two. I'll give you a second warning. We're going to verses five and six now. The Bible says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. This irritated him big time. By the way, the world does get irritated big time when you don't do what they want. Verse 6, And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Warning number two is this. Don't be naive. Don't be naive. It's interesting that Haman could have just taken Mordecai out and it probably wouldn't have been such a big deal. But Haman goes beyond just a Mordecai to the people of God. He's angry and upset with the Jews. Now I think it's important for us to remember this. Behind Haman behind anyone that would want to kill other people or kill Christians or, or, or get, get rid of the Jews. We have an adversary. His name is the devil. And you look at the scriptures. The Bible says in John 8 and verse 44, the devil's always been out to destroy the work and the people of God. He was a, John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar. He abode not in truth. He can't do anything but tell lies. In Genesis chapter number 3, he says, yeah, to the, uh, Adam and Eve through the serpent, 
hath God said. God's trying to hold out. Read in the beginning, the devil's trying to undermine the work of God. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, we read that verse about enmity between Satan. Uh, Genesis, let me find it. I'll read it for you. <laughs> Started in the beginning. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God gave the death blow to Satan on the cross. In Matthew chapter number 2, Jesus, born king of the Jews. Let's wipe out. Let's kill all the male babies again. You know who's behind that? The devil. I want you to take your Bible quickly and turn to the book of Job, chapter number 2. Hold your place and Esther will come back here in just a minute. Job, chapter number 2. A few pages over. You're familiar with the book of Job, the story of Job. But I want to remind us in chapter number 2, and verse number 5, Satan goes to God and he basically says, you know, you've got a protection around Job. Verse 5, put, God says, put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. Oh, no, I'm sorry, God doesn't say that. <laughs> Satan says that. And he will curse thee that I face. Verse 6 is a verse. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Now look at verse number 7. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. How long did it take Satan to go after Job? As soon as he was given permission, he went after him. You see, we've got an enemy, an adversary, the devil. And the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because our adversary walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The small g God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, says, he blinds the minds of those who believe not. You see, what he tries to do is keep us from telling other people about Jesus. Because he wants those people that are not saved to be blinded and to spend eternity in hell. The devil is after the work of God. And we need to remember on a regular basis, I don't think the devil is behind <laughs> under every rock. Hey, we've got a flesh. We've got a will. But we do need to recognize when it comes to these things, hey, in the United States of America, do you know what? The devil doesn't like it that we were uh, one nation under God. And the devil is in everything he can to try to undermine and try to get in there and hurt God's people and God's church. He appears, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, as an angel of light. You know the story in Acts about Ananias and Sapphira. What does Peter say? Satan hath lied to you. You believed the lie of the devil. And as we think about what Haman's doing and what's going on behind the scenes, we need to recognize and not be naive that we have an enemy and his name is the devil and he'll do everything he can to keep you from church, to keep you from reading your Bible. He'll get you talking in church so that you're not paying attention to the message. 
That was for one person in particular. The reality is we have a devil that hates us. We need not be naive about it. I read a story of a fellow by the name of Edwin Cooper. Edwin Cooper was, a, was famous across America. Almost no one knew his real name. Coming from a family of circus clowns, Cooper began performing before audiences when he was just nine years old. After a stint with the Barnum and Bailey Circus, he became a fixture on television in the 1950s as Bozo the Clown. In addition to entertaining both young and old, Cooper had a message for his buddies and partners every week. Get checked for cancer. Yet Cooper was so busy working that he neglected to follow his own advice. By the time his cancer was discovered, it was too late for it to be treated. Edwin Cooper died at just 41 years of age from a disease that he had warned many others to watch out for. Don't be naive. The devil's out there trying to do what he can to thwart the work of God. Go back to Esther chapter 3. I want to give you one more thought here as we think about the pressure the pressure that we face and will continue to face in our world, in our lives, to conform. Number one, don't be disobedient. Number two, don't be naive. Number three, and I think this is important for us, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Haman comes to the king, misrepresents the whole situation. Look at verse 7. In the first month, that is the month Nisan, by the way, God lays out the month, how this is going to, to take place. They cast, in the middle of the verse, uh, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pure. They cast lots. That is the lot before Haman from day to day, from month to month to the twelfth month. That is the month Adar. We'll talk about that in, in just a little bit here. God gives them enough time. Uh, to prepare for what's about to happen. Verse 8, And Haman said unto the king, Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Well, they were Jews. They worshiped the Lord. Their laws were, were different, but they weren't as different when it comes to society and, and keeping laws as, as he's making it out to be. Neither keep they the king's laws. You see, he's taking and he's He's kind of twisting it a little bit. They're not obeying you, king. Well, the reality is they had different laws. They had to worship God when worshiping the king. And, uh, and, and they're not. Therefore, it is, it, is, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. The world has no use for Christians. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousands of talents to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasure. The plan's presented. The money is promised. Some commentators feel like his funds were low because of the loss of the battle with Greece. Haman was a wealthy man. He was a wealthy man. He's promising 10,000 talents of silver. According to Greek historians, the annual income of the entire Persian Empire was 15,000 talents of silver. He's promising 10,000. He's going to give him two-thirds of the annual income. Wow. Money talks, doesn't it? 
Verse number 10. Actually, verse number 10, yeah, the king took his ring from his hand, which is basically giving him authority to sign whatever with the ring. Gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agatite, the Jews' enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with thee them as it seemeth good to you. You know the story. Verse 12, the king's scribes called the 13th day, the first month, and was written according to Haman in command of the king's lieutenants. They make this law. And uh, verse 13, what do they do? The, the date set, the word is spread. The letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women. And one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is a month Adar, which was sometime almost a year down the road. Isn't it interesting? You think about, we don't have a lot of time here, but you think about uh, what the Bible says concerning the lot being cast. Um, this is, let, me, let me finish reading, and then I'll, I'll give you some thoughts here. Verse 14, the copy of the writing for commandment to be given in every province was published unto all the people that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given to Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. Look at this last phrase. But the city Shushan was perplexed. Perplexed. What's going on? A very intimidating situation to receive a letter that says, hey, you're going to die. They have no reason to be intimidated. Two thoughts here and we'll be finished. Number one, God controls the outcome. Haman is being superstitious. He casts Lot in verse 7, pure as Lot, to kill the Jews. Last month, I told you already, provides lots of time for the situation to change. Proverbs 16.33, the Lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. God was in control. You think about times in the Bible where the Lot is cast. Jonah tried to hide from God, and in God's sovereignty, the lot is cast to Jonah. Remember the book of Acts, chapter number 1? Judas had hung himself. They needed a replacement for Judas. They had two guys. They said, Lord, would you show us which one? And they cast a lot for it. You see, we need to recognize, and by the way, we have a privilege that they didn't have. I mean, think about this. Although they had maybe some of the Old Testament stuff, we've got the whole canon of Scripture and we can look at our lives and our situation in 2024 in the United States of America, and we can look back and say, look, God was in control here in Esther's situation. The, the, the God controlled the outcome. They didn't have what we had. We need to recognize that God will control the outcome today. I'm convinced that the stage is being set, as I said already, for the return of the Lord Jesus. Back when I was a kid, and I used to see, you know, you, you, you get in church and you read about the mark of the beast, 666, and how are they going to put that on people, and how's that all going to work? Well, nowadays, you look at that phone and the things you can do on the phone, and, you know, you can pay for stuff on the phone. I mean, you can do it all. You know, California, I think it is, in the Amazon place somewhere there, uh, they can scan their, put a little chip in you. You put chips in doll. You think, hey, the stage is being set. 
By the way, it might get worse before it gets better. <laughs> but we've got to recognize that we cannot be intimidated because the God that you serve and the God that you love, the God that you uh, worship is the God that's in control of this whole world. And we can bypass, we can go straight to the throne room of heaven and we can talk to God, the King of kings, and prayer moves the hand that rules the world. God's in control. Secondly, we don't need to be intimidated, nor did they, because God will protect his people. In Genesis chapter 12, I'll read these verses, and we'll tie this thing up. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, I quote a little earlier. I will make of thee a great nation, God said. I will bless thee, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I'll bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. If Haman had some sense and knew the scriptures, Haman would recognize the people that are attacking Israel, they need to get a hold of the truth. Because they're not going to win. Because God said, I'll bless my people. God is a great God. And God promises He'll protect. In the book of Genesis, we read a story about a fellow by the name of Lot. Lot had to make a choice. Abraham said to Lot, you pick where you want. And Lot said, hey, I'm going to go down here to the well-watered plains of Sodom. Lot didn't make a decision to come out and be separate. Lot had a lot going for him. But Lot ended. Matter of fact, one commentator said this concerning Lot. What a horrible slide. Lot went from being wealthy and blessed because of his association with Abraham to having no wife, no home, no money, no VIP status, and having fathered some of the greatest enemies of God in the Bible, all because of his association with Sodom. He allowed himself to be pressured, to be conformed. And when Abraham said, God, if I could just... Find a few righteous? Yeah, you, you find ten righteous. I wonder if Abraham was just shocked to recognize that Lot made no impact at all. None. And he lost it all. Because he caved to the pressure to conform. God wants to work in such a time as this, and he wants to use us. He wants to use us to make a difference. We've got to recognize that this world's trying to conform us. We've got to recognize, hey, I'm not going to be disobedient. I'm not going to be naive. I'm not going to give in. May God help us to not be conformed. Lord, 